system resource groups function as a type of uh, breeding ground for future senior leaders of the organization. So the types of leadership experiences that you get as a leader of a system resource group tend to serve you well in taking on uh, other types of leadership roles in the system. People who lead system resource groups tend to grow more quickly in the organization because they've already had that experience of functioning um, on a system level, of thinking about how their decisions impact a system level function. So it's a great way to cut your teeth on leadership without committing to that full-time role. That's Keneal Coltman, Vice President and Chief Diversity Officer at Atrium Health, located in Charlotte, North Carolina. Atrium Health's mission is to improve health, elevate hope, and advance healing for all. Keneal is my guest for this episode of ERG Power Talk. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders, as well as others that are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and find stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors, Atrium Health, Fredert Health and Medical College of Wisconsin, and Mass Mutual. Now, let's go straight to the program. Hi, Keneal. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. So, to begin, let's just take a quick look at your background. I took a look at your LinkedIn profile, and I noticed you have a long career working in academic healthcare environments and focusing on diversity and inclusion. And then I went a little further and took a look a little further back and I noticed that even in your education, you actually focus on this topic of diversity and inclusion. So just to, to sort of get to know you a little better, can you tell us a little bit about what, you know, what led you to choose that path and, uh, and the work that you're doing right now? Sure. So I grew up in a very rural part of North Carolina in the mountains in the western part of the state and uh, as a teenager I went to um, a, you know blue-collar high school in a rural area and there was a handful of African-American kids in an all-white high school and I observed a lot of racism there um, not all of it was overt or in your face some of it was um, but much of it was just below the surface. And I recall feeling ill at ease with that dynamic, and um, but not really having a lot of tools in, in terms of knowing what to do about it at that age. And then my first semester in undergrad, had a professor that I admired a great deal who uh, had planned a semester-long dialogue on racism, which was a collaboration between the university and the local health system. And I went through that and, you know, I was young and um, also at a time when I needed to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And that experience just had a profound impact on me. And it led me down this journey of saying, gosh, what do I, what do I really want to do with my life? And, you know, I felt strongly that I wanted to do more than just, you know, 
go to work every day. I wanted there to be social meaning and impact to my work. And so I approached the university. They helped me carve out my own concentration and diversity in the business management program and um, graduated with a degree in business management with a, a, a track in diversity. And then I couldn't get a job at the time because no one uh, in my home state of North Carolina seemed to be hiring people to work on diversity. So I canvassed the country and I looked for health systems that were doing this work and I landed uh, in Texas at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston. And my very first kind of big girl job was uh, I was a diversity trainer. I, I did uh, diversity equal opportunity education for employees of that health system. And that's really what got me into the work. And I've, I've been there ever since. I um, went back to school for a master's in cross-cultural studies because I got very interested in how uh, the American healthcare system um, was actually fairly ill-equipped to um, provide good care to culturally diverse populations. And so I saw this intersection between culture and the delivery system, and I wanted to be in a better position to design tools and interventions to respond to the diversity that was coming through the doors of our health system every day. And so that's really um, been my journey, is just to kind of uh, build upon those initial um, thoughts around having a career in social justice, and then it's morphed and grown and evolved over the years, but I can't, I can't imagine doing anything else. I feel like this is the work that I was put on this earth to do. Wow, that's a great story. That's a very, very interesting path that you took. It's, it's interesting how so early you knew what you wanted to do and how you've built upon it. So let me ask you this, because you have been doing this for so long, uh, and, and ERGs, when you think about ERGs or business resource groups or systems resource groups, uh, I think that's what you call them in your organization, right? System resource groups. When that's you think correct. about these, when you think about these groups, what do you think is the role that they play in the organization in terms of helping you to drive that agenda of creating more inclusivity in that healthcare space? You know, what I want, um, at the end of the day, we're in the business of healthcare, right? So we're making sure that people in some of the most vulnerable states of their lives are um, being treated with compassion and dignity and respect and in a manner that reflects their individual journeys and identities and, and paths in life. Um, so I think in order to make sure that that spills over to patients, we have to make sure that we start with our own employees or in our organization we call our employees teammates. Um, and so for me, our system resource groups do a few things. One is they, they send a very powerful message to our teammates that this is a culture of inclusion, you belong here, um, no matter what your individual identity is, that you are um, fully valued for all of who you are as an individual and as a member of groups that maybe historically weren't part of, say, the leadership structure in healthcare. So I think it sends a powerful message to our teammates. Um, just by virtue of what system resource groups do every day, you know, they are developing programming that is responding to specific needs and concerns and issues um, that are 
uh, relevant and interesting and of importance to specific segments of our workforce. So by virtue of just doing what they do every day, our system resource groups are helping folks talk about things that matter to them regardless of what their you know, journey in life has been. But I think another important part of the role of system resource groups is to make the system better. So uh, we intentionally named them system resource groups because we wanted them to be resources in guiding the work of the system and helping us to do a better job of meeting our mission. Uh, and so I can tell you example after example of where our system resource groups have guided us to do um, better work and serve patients better. For example, we have one of our system resource groups is uh, called Equality One, and it's our uh, LGBTQ plus allies system resource group. And they have guided us towards more inclusive patient non-discrimination policies that include sexual orientation and gender identity. They have guided us towards thinking about how we improve care for LGBTQ patient populations. They have guided us towards specific um, remembrances and celebrations and events that are important to uh, members of the LGBTQ community. So that's just one example. I could tell you example after example of how our system resource groups have advised us and made us a better organization by helping us to unearth blind spots that we may have and how a program or a function is designed or just helping to give us advice on a new offering or a new way of approaching an issue that we wouldn't have thought of before otherwise. You know, Keneal, I like, I like that when you call them, uh, you know, when I first heard the term system resource group, I didn't make the connection uh, that you were talking about the system or your organization. Organizations are systems made up of different processes that work with each other to provide value in your case to your, to your patients. But that's an interesting way of looking at it because what you're doing is you're trying to, from what I hear you saying, you're trying to find ways to take that system and to adjust it in different ways so that the entire system becomes more inclusive and, uh, and, and more embracing of all the different people that come in looking for your services. So let me, let me, let me ask you this then. Uh, how do you form these groups within Atrium Health? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that I know that organizations form these. In some cases, uh, they're self-forming. Uh, in other cases, they are uh, brought to life by some group of executives or an executive who feels that one of these groups is needed or some kind of hybrid approach. What approach do you guys use? You know, I don't think that there is an exact blueprint for how uh, our system resource groups have formed. I think different uh, groups have formed for different reasons based on a different set of issues and a different set of history. Um, what we do try to look for is uh, an area where there may be a gap, um, where we could do something better, and we also look for energy and enthusiasm among our teammates because at the end of the day these groups are not while while the office of diversity and inclusion support um, provides budgeting for these groups these groups are designed to be uh, for and of the people if you will and so we're looking for that 
kind of catalytic energy from our teammates to drive the group to grow and evolve and meet the needs of teammates. So we look for that kind of uh, magical spark in our teammates. And so, for example, we have our, our longest and original first uh, system resource group is the Women's Executive Leadership Group. Now, um, uh, many people know that healthcare is overwhelmingly dominated by women. So, uh, roughly 80% of our workforce and 80% and of the healthcare workforce across the country is women. But um, women start to become uh, less and less represented the further up you go in most healthcare organizations in America. Uh, and so this group was formed over a decade ago in recognition that women in healthcare needed support in growing in leadership roles. So that's why it's called the Women's Executive Leadership Group, is that it was designed not necessarily to um, meet the needs of every one of the 80% of our workforce, but to really speak to the leadership growth needs for women in our workforce. And that group has evolved to do some phenomenal things. And this work has started long before I arrived here. But that group had developed a, a mentoring program where more senior executive women uh, mentor uh, junior executive women. And then that program then morphed into a third mentoring, kind of a pay it forward program where junior executive women are encouraged and empowered to mentor uh, women who may not be in a leadership role yet, but who aspire to be. And so it's created this ripple effect of uh, um, mentoring and there's lots of stories of women who have sort of grown up in the organization through mentorship, through the programs spinning off of the system resource group. So when I think about, you know, what what problems do they solve and how do they start, gosh, they start from that spark, but then they grow and morph to solve bigger and bigger problems for the organization and meet the needs of where the organization is headed. That organization is now actually looking to include more women physician leaders uh, and find ways to engage them because we're realizing that women are underrepresented in women in physician leadership as well, and that's a national phenomenon. So we're seeking to address that um, by growing the uh, impact and footprint of that system resource group. So again, it starts with that spark, it starts with that interest, uh, and then grows from there. One that we're looking at forming in the coming year is a disability system resource group. We've gotten feedback from our uh, teammates uh, who have a variety of disabilities that there's more that the system can do to create awareness around how disabilities um, impact our uh, daily lives, but also create awareness around the impact that people with disabilities can make at work and um, maybe fight some stereotypes along the way. So we try to respond to wherever that energy leads us in the organization. Got it. So it sounds like, let's say, for example, if I were really passionate about a particular topic and I were at Atrium Health and I got a couple of other people that were uh, excited about it also and passionate and began to formulate a plan, it would be a matter of presenting that and then and then sort of beginning to formalize it and shape it a little more. And that gives you a lot of room for organic growth of different types of groups. And I think that probably is an element of your culture that allows that. 
Uh, Because again, as I mentioned before, there are a lot of different ways that these groups form, but to a great degree, uh, how they form is driven to some point by the culture uh, within which they exist. So let me ask you this. I think I know the answer to this, but I'd rather hear you say it uh, based on how you told me that the groups form themselves. How are leaders selected for these groups? Uh, again, in some organizations, it's a democratic process and everybody agrees that Mary should do it or that Mary and Jane should work together as co-chairs. In other organizations, they use a, a, a more of a top-down approach. And in some organizations, they use hybrid. There's no real right or wrong way. But it's interesting just to hear how these different approaches work within different organizations. What do you guys do? Sure. So we have two different types of leaders that get engaged with our system resource groups. We have the leaders who are essentially like the president or the leadership team or the chair of a particular system resource group. They all have different terms and we try to honor whatever terms they prefer. And then we also have executive sponsors. So I can tell you about both of those processes. So for leaders, um, usually the inaugural uh, leader will be part of that. Um, you know, catalytic group of folks that said, hey, we really need this. We need to grow some momentum. So oftentimes those founders of the group will also serve as the initial leaders of the group. And we found that the people with that much energy tend to be great inaugural chairs of the group. And then what I think has been important for us over the years is to create a succession plan for all of our system resource groups. So all of our system resource groups have charters which clearly delineates how long a particular leader will hold a leadership position and then the process by which new leaders will be selected or appointed. Um, you know, we try not to make it uh, too time intensive. So after about two years, we generally recommend that they have a succession plan uh, whereby new leaders can be um, selected by the kind of leadership body of that system resource group. And we've found that that's important because um, each uh, each new leader brings in a different set of agendas and impulses and energies that we want to honor and allow that person to really make their own mark on the system resource group. But the other reason why that's important is um, we don't always think about it in this way, but system resource groups function as a type of a breeding ground for future senior leaders of the organization. So the types of leadership experiences that you get as a leader of a system resource group tend to serve you well in taking on uh, other types of leadership roles in the system. People who lead system resource groups tend to grow more quickly in the organization because they've already had that experience of functioning um, on a system level of thinking about how their decisions impact a system level function. So it's a great way to cut your teeth on leadership without committing to that full-time role. So that's how we select leaders. And then for executive sponsors, um, you know, the, the we're not as rigid about the terms and how long and that sort of thing. You know, as long as that executive sponsor has the energy and enthusiasm around, uh, around a particular system resource group, then we want them to stay engaged and, and continue to contribute. How we select those leaders, it tends to be very different depending on the system resource group. So sometimes, for example, 
with our women's executive leadership group, we want um, a very senior woman leader that's universally uh, respected in the organization to serve as that executive sponsor. Um, in, in other cases, we found that per perhaps a leader has a connection to the affinity around which that system resource group has been formed. For example, um, Unidos is our Hispanic, Latino, and ally system resource group, and our senior most Hispanic leader in the organization is one of the executive uh, sponsors for that organization. However, his co-executive sponsor is a white male who is in a market, who's operating in a market that has a fast-growing Hispanic population, and he has shared with me that he and his wife just have a personal interest in learning Spanish and, and growing their knowledge of uh, Latino cultures, and so it just, he felt like a really good fit to be an ally and an executive sponsor for that organization. So we find folks that have an affinity or a connection um, but that also were positioned in the organization to wield their influence in ways that help the footprint and the impact of that system resource grow and expand. That's fantastic. You know, there's something you said that caught my attention very quickly because of something I've been preaching for years, and that is the power of allies or of having allies involved. And usually when you hear about, you know, LGBTQ groups, you hear about allies, but when you hear about other groups, let's say, for example, uh, women's networks or Hispanic networks or African-American, you don't hear that term used as much. And for years, I've been saying that's an untapped power uh, to bring allies into the fold. And I just, can you tell us a little more, just a little more about that allies piece? Because uh, you mentioned that Unidos, I think, was the group that you mentioned has allies. What, what's the role those allies play and, and what, what brought about the decision to bring allies into the fold? You know, we use that term a lot. So almost every system resource group that I talk about, you'll hear me use the word ally in some way. And for me, that is individuals who may not be um, based on who they are. They may not be a part of a particular group around which that system resource group is formed, but they're big supporters. So as an example, our executive sponsor for, um, sorry, the name just flew out of my head. Let me <laughs> put up. <laughs> I'm sorry, for One Team, One Mission, which is our military and veteran system resource group. The executive sponsor for that group is not actually a veteran himself. However, he had parents and grandparents that were members of the armed forces. He is um, very interested in celebrating and recognizing their contributions and sacrifices for our country. Um, he has been involved in causes in our community that support military and veterans issues. He was the absolute right choice to be one of our executive sponsors for our military and veterans resource group. So um, that's one example. Another example, uh, Equality One, which is our LGBTQ system resource group that I mentioned earlier. Um, so um, neither one of our executive sponsors for that group are actually members of the LGBTQ community, but they're both very passionate about those issues. They use their very senior level positions 
to um, create influence and impact for that system resource group. The same with our young professional system resource group. So that one we sort of say tongue in cheek, it's for young and age, heart, or career. Now, technically, the executive sponsors of that were not, are not currently maybe in the 40 and under age range, but there are people who have grown up through the ranks. They have uh, been young professionals here and seen their careers grow and evolve and prosper here, and they really want to pay it forward for future generations. And so they have been such wonderful champions and allies, if you will, for young professionals in our organization. So those are just a few examples. but. But I do believe that for executive sponsors in particular, um, it doesn't always have to be someone who's of that group to make a huge impact for that group. That's great. And it really it does warm my heart to hear that someone out there is actually doing that beyond using it just in the LGBTQ uh, group community. Because I've always thought that that's, that's kind of a secret weapon. Once you get allies involved, it, it's a multiplier effect. So it's, it's great to hear that. So uh, let me ask you this. I think you've already touched on a couple of these system resource group successes, but can you pick one and elaborate on it a little bit to give us an example? I know you've won a lot of awards and so forth, but if you could pick one uh, that you could share, that would be great. Sure. So we've had a couple of system resource groups that have guided us to think bigger about how we develop um, the next generation of leaders. So I'll give you a couple of examples. So our women's executive leadership development, or I'm sorry, our women's executive leadership group, which is one of our system resource groups, really felt like that the mentoring programs that they were running were maybe not enough to groom women for those very most senior level roles of vice president and above. So they made some recommendations to the organizations to say, hey, we need to create a different level of investment for our organization to support women in moving into those executive senior, senior level roles. And so the organization took them up on that recommendation. And what was born from that was um, the Women's Executive Leadership Development Program. That's a nine-month program. It uh, uh, is a cohort model. They receive some really top-tier um, executive coaching from a, a, a consulting outfit that specializes in grooming women for executive leadership roles. So um, they also were assigned, uh, and this is pretty novel, I think, um, sponsors, not mentors, sponsors, all of whom were senior leaders who were white male. And that was by design to give them an opportunity to kind of learn what is the secret sauce, if you will, that maybe some senior white male leaders, um, how they approach their work, how they approach their planning, how they approach their career growth that maybe we're not thinking about based on our socialization as women. So I think that's one big success. And we've seen women that have participated in that program really grow and they're careers continue to evolve and get more and more responsibility in higher level roles. Um, but as we form that program, we have another uh, system resource group called the Men's Diversity Leadership Network. And it's, um, it's for men of color and allies. And that group said, well, hey, wait a minute, what about us? 
um, you know, we really uh, need development and support too because there are things that we are maybe not uh, able to get access to compared to our white male counterparts. So we developed a comparable program for them um, called the Men's Diversity Leadership Development Program that was targeting um, men of color in director, assistant vice president, and vice president roles and really helping them think about what is that next level gameplay for you in your career. So that's another successful program that I'm very proud of. The men that have gone through that program have reported just tremendous personal growth, tremendous um, gains in their confidence and how they kind of show up in the organization, greater feelings of um, authenticity in terms of how they relate to their peers and their, and their immediate supervisors. But I mean, the real proof is in are they growing? And we've seen several men who've gone through that program uh, experienced promotions in the last year and a half since we've been running that program. That, that certainly is a mark of success. You know, it's, it's interesting as I'm, as I'm listening to you and you're talking about these different things that the groups do, uh, it sounds like they sort of evolve in certain directions to address needs that they recognize and then, and then develop solutions. And they really seem to focus or concentrate on certain areas. And that's what I found is the mark generally of high performing groups or groups that are highly successful is that they tend to pick like one thing that they become really good at or one or two things as opposed to spreading themselves thin over a bunch of different topics. So let's pause here for a bit and take stock. So far, we've learned that these highly successful groups that are thought of as small systems within the larger company system are designed to influence that larger system toward more inclusivity. We've also learned that for the most part, these groups are autonomous, but have support from the company and yet get to choose their own areas of focus. In addition to providing direct value to the entire company through their work, by their very nature, they're also serving as places where the leaders of these groups can experientially acquire management and executive skills that prepare them for larger roles within the company. So what are the things that they've avoided in order to reach this level of success? And how do they see themselves evolving as they continue their journey into the future? That's what we'll focus on when we return, but first this. ERG Power Talk is made possible through the support and sponsorship of Atrium Health, Freudert Health and Medical College of Wisconsin, and Mass Mutual. These are companies that are leading the advancement of ERG practices way beyond the confines of their organizations. Thank you. Now back to our podcast. What are some of the things that you attribute those successes to? What do you think are some of the elements that work together uh, to make that work for you? Clearly, there's you guys pick a focus and you pursue it. But what are some of the other things that you think also are part of that success? So I think one of the things that um, our team in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion has a lot of discussion around is what is the balance between um, being supportive of our system resource groups and, and, and giving them a lot of support and guidance from the Office of Diversity and Inclusion versus really honoring their 
different, you know, autonomous paths and journeys as system resource groups. So, uh, in other words, you know, how how tight of a relationship do you have there versus kind of setting them free and letting them do their own thing? I think what we've learned over the years is there's a balance there. Those system resource groups have to have um, the appropriate level of resources so that, you know, they can plan in events that are um, substantive and meaningful. For example, our young professionals um, plans um, a young professionals summit where whereby they invite YPs from all across the system. Well, they couldn't do that in as impactful of a way if they don't have a budget. So we, we do, I mean, this is really basic, but we do allocate a standard budget across all of our system resource groups. So I think resources matter. So you can't just form the group without giving them a little bit to um, make the, the, the content of their work substantive and meaningful. And that means, you know, you buy some folks lunch sometimes and you uh, rent the event space and you, you hire that speaker that they really wanted to hear from. And you, but you also let them decide how to spend their money but you also invite them to think critically about it. So, well, do you really want to spend your entire budget on renting this tent at this health fair that's out in the community, or are there other higher impact ways that you'd like to spend your budget? So you invite them, you know, to have some critical thinking around it. But at the same time, there's some basic good practices that we want to apply across all of our system resource groups. One is having good, leadership structures. So um, we had one system resource group where it was just kind of a fluke thing where um, they had sort of a, a three-part leadership structure and within one year one person retired, another person left to pursue other opportunities, another person got this really neat job offer elsewhere that they couldn't resist, but it, it dismantled the leadership structure almost overnight and so we had to kind of scurry to help them rebuild quickly and what we've learned is that leadership succession planning is incredibly important for system resource groups, especially when you're thinking about the fact these are volunteers. This is not their full-time job. This is not actually the job that they're paid to do. It's incredibly meaningful, and we want to celebrate their contributions in this leadership role that they hold, but we also have to recognize it's not their core job. So giving them a budget, making sure that that leadership structure is in place so that they're, so that one or two people is not bearing the load of the whole entire um, governance and functioning of the organization. But also understanding the role of the Office of DNI is to take some of those administrative responsibilities off of the system resource group. So we don't want them spending all of their time, you know, ordering catering or, or, you know, renting a particular event venue or organizing this classroom space. We can take care of that and we can do it pretty efficiently. We want them to spend their time thinking about how do you design the program or the experience for teammates and we'll take some of those administrative burdens off of them so that they're, you know, finite volunteer time is being spent on the most optimal activities to drive engagement for their system resource group forward. That's great. It sounds like what you guys do is then you provide 
as you said before, you provide some funding and you also provide some basic general structure. But the more I listen to you talk about the way you run these groups, it sounds like you're running a management development effort because you're giving them the opportunity to have enough autonomy in what they select to do and how they do it, that it becomes a learning experience. And then you, on the other hand, or your team, you guys serve more as coaches then uh, in helping them along that journey. So that's, that's pretty powerful. That's a pretty powerful approach. Let me ask you this, looking at it from another side, what do you think are the worst things that an organization can do in terms of, you know, of putting these groups together? And what do you think are some of the worst things that people who are inside these groups can do that will prevent them from having the kind of success that you guys are experiencing? Um, you know, I've made all the mistakes over the years, and so I can um, speak, I feel like, with some degree of authority about what are some of those mistakes to be made. I think one of them that I learned pretty, not here, but at a past organization pretty early in my career was you need to give clear lanes to your system resource group, but also let them know where the the bumpers are on either side of, of those lanes. You know, one of the challenges that I learned at another organization early on, I had a system resource group that gave an interview to the media that and they sort of represented themselves as speaking on behalf of everyone in their particular group when they really hadn't gone through the proper channels. They really weren't representing their whole group, and it wasn't a message that was in concert with the broader organization. And so, you know, learned a lot from that, but, you know, we've set up now, um, all of our system resource groups have clear guidelines under which they need to operate. So the guidelines are, number one, it, the, the system resource group, and this may go without saying, but it is important to say to folks that are new to leadership of system resource groups is the group exists to extend the mission of the organization. If you're off in a way that is contrary to the mission of the organization, then we need to have a conversation. Because this group is, it is a system resource group. It's a resource to the system. It's driving the mission of the organization forward. So if you're not doing that, then we're not using this system resources to the best of our ability. So I think that's one important thing. And then other little things like, you know, don't speak to the media without, you know, going through the proper channels. Don't, um, engage in sponsorship uh, talks with a community organization without having gone through the office of DNI first to make sure that everything's on the up and up with that. Um, make sure that they understand what things need to go through the office of diversity and inclusion versus what things they can do themselves. And so just putting some of those expectations out there on the front end, I think has helped avoid a lot of issues down the line later. And then another one that I think is important is all of our system resource groups need to adhere by our non-discrimination policies, right? So um, if, you know, a particular system resource, I'll give you an example. Uh, in a previous organization, not here, uh, members of the military and veteran system resource group wanted to make it that no one who wasn't a veteran could hold a leadership role in that system resource group. And uh, as uh, the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, we said no, because that actually contradicts our 
employ non-discrimination policy, which says you cannot discriminate on the basis of all of these protected criteria, including veteran status. So that was one, those, those are the little conversations that you just have over the years. Hopefully you have them behind the scenes and, and just raise awareness on the front end so that you don't have any issues on the back end. Got it. Good points. And by the way, when you mentioned about having all those experiences, a whole bunch of those experiences came rushing into my head as well. I think we've, <laughs> we've, we've all, all been, been there, there, right? Yeah, we've all been there. Uh, so let me ask you this then. So based on what you just told me, if, if let's say, for example, you get a brand new leader for a system resource group, what are some of the things that you want to make sure that they know out of the gate? And what are some of the things that you recommend that they do to, to prepare themselves to take on this role? Well, um, one of the things that I'm grateful for, we have a wonderful assistant vice president of, in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, Peggy Harris, who leads this work. She guides our workforce diversity and inclusion strategy. So all new leaders generally have a conversation with her right out the gate to um, make sure that they understand what their expectations are, what the time commitment is, um, what are some of the challenges that they may experience, what's the, this is another one I had mentioned earlier, what's the appropriate way to engage with, inform, work with your um, executive sponsor of your employee resource group. So those are some of the things that she'll have those initial onboarding conversations with. And usually, um, it may be obvious depending on what the structure of the system resource group leadership that's already in place, but sometimes she'll want to go ahead and start those conversations now. Okay, if you're the new chair of, I'm using this as an example, of the young professionals, then let's go ahead and start thinking right now, even though you're just getting started about who you want your successor to be, that way we can start to groom that person over the course of this next year or this next two-year term for you so that that person can be completely up to speed and ramped up by the time your term's in, term ends so that you can hand over the reins without a challenge. So she spends some time doing that. She also just reviews the guidelines that I talked to you about. You know, what are those bumpers? What is your lane and, and what are the areas where there's, you know, some potential challenges if we go outside of these lanes? So she goes over all of that with them. And I, we found that the investment on the front end of that orientation, again, really helps um, avoid any issues on the back end. Yep. Yep. All good points. So uh, let's, let's look at the future a little bit. Uh, first of all, we know that the world of work is changing rapidly in a number of different ways. We know that automation is coming in, robotics are becoming increasingly a part of the work, uh, the work life. Uh, and we also know that artificial intelligence or AI is also a growing component. In addition to that, in a lot of organizations, Today, you have a lot of people that work in organizations who are contractors or who are temps or who may be part of a partner organization. So in an environment like that, with these groups that are designed to, to make the environment more inclusive of the entire workforce 
and with components of the workforce actually not being traditional employees. How do you guys address that in terms of as you look at automation, robotics, and especially AI systems? Uh, do you see the systems resource groups playing a part in that as well? So I know that's a kind of long question, but if you could break it up into two, I would say the first one is in terms of the organiz- organizational workforce becoming less employee and more of you know other uh, workforce members. And then the second part would be sort of what type of role can the systems resource groups play in a world uh, that's becoming increasingly uh, involved with and driven by things like artificial intelligence and so forth? You know, I don't know that I have the perfect answer for that because so much of what artificial intelligence and some of the other automation promises that new technology will bring into healthcare is um, still a moving target. And so um, I just saw an article this past week about how um, how to avoid biases within artificial intelligence, which I thought was fascinating. So I think, um, you know, the initial thoughts that I have that come to mind are that we depend on system resource groups in particular to alert us to when and where there may be a bias in the system, right? However we conduct business, whatever that is, we're looking to them to help alert us because they're tuned into a particular bias issue. We train them to be tuned into those issues. So I think using uh, and giving voice to our system resource group to help us think about how do we leverage technology to avoid bias, not create more bias. Um, To answer your question about the evolving workforce, um, you know, by and large, the majority of our workforce is certainly um, employed still, at least for my organization. And I I would say that's true still for a a great part of the um, kind of traditional healthcare sector. But, you know, you are seeing contractors come in in very specific functions and roles around IT, consultants, et cetera. And so um, also when healthcare shortages present themselves, you'll see healthcare organizations rely on um, temporary staffing or what we call travelers, which may be temporary nurses or other clinical professionals that um, kind of flank alongside our employed workforce. One of the things that we found that our system resource groups are incredibly helpful in advising and guiding around is how do you prevent the workforce dynamics that may cause a labor shortage that would necessitate that you have to use temps instead of your kind of full-time traditional parts of the workforce. So when I think about where we are headed in terms of just recognizing that, you know, the needs of our workforce will change. Sometimes we have temporary parts of the workforce kind of moving in and out of our organization. So we may, when we experience a labor shortage, we will have um, temps or what we call travelers sometimes, which are clinically focused employees, nurses, uh, CMAs, other types of clinical roles, help fill in the blank, help fill in the gaps for us when we have workforce shortages. What I think about the value of system resource groups in those instances is helping us to better anticipate what will help us recruit and retain 
uh, diverse parts of our workforce so that we can avoid those later labor shortages um, that would require us to have temporary parts of the workforce fill in the blanks. So for example, one of the pieces of feedback that we've received from our young professionals is um, the desire for continuous learning and constant growth, which means that um, some of the conventions and ways that we have um, created expectations historically may not make sense for us in the future. Specifically, we and most healthcare organizations have had kind of a mandate that you be in your initial job for a year before you can transfer into other roles. What we found is that's actually not helpful in recruiting and retaining millennial parts of our workforce. And we've heard that directly from our young professional system resource group. So it's invited us to think differently about some old policies and practices and guidelines that we've had in place about how employees can transfer around the organization. Historically, those have been designed to make it difficult. And what we found is in order to retain um, you know, young professionals in our organization, we actually need to make it really easy. And instead of discouraging it, we need to find ways to celebrate that transferring around because the transferring around is actually a way of continuous learning, growth, new experiences and opportunities. Because what we've heard from young professionals is it may not always be about vertical movement. It's about learning new things and rounding out my skill set as a, as a growing professional in your organization. That's excellent. That, and that's a great example of how they are pretty much uh, enhancing your system as a system resource group, right? You talked about a policy that was in place and how they're able through their feedback to help the organization to make sure that those policies evolve as the workforce is evolving. And then we talked a little bit at some point about how you saw uh, for example, uh, an article, I think, where artificial intelligence in some cases carries its own biases or the biases of the people that, that create it. What are some of the things that these system resource groups might be able to do uh, in, their, in, in their roles in order to help the organization to, uh, to avoid those traps, to avoid the trap of creating a system that basically codifies a bias or turns a, a bias into an institutional mechanism uh, within a machine. Yeah, and you know, I don't know what, as far as artificial intelligence and, and some of the new ways that we'll see biases, but I think, you know, if we if we look back into finding ways that our system resource groups have already served us well, and maybe not unearthing biases, but unearthing opportunities for us to do something better or to round out a blind spot that we may have had. I think about, for example, our military and veteran system resource group, One Team, One Mission, how they have um, helped us identify opportunities within our um, data collection processes for patients to be able to make sure that we're asking about veteran status of our patients and that we're developing systems and processes to um, recognize and celebrate um, military and veteran families when they're our patients, but also um, when we, just recently, we had a, a, a news story, an internal news story that we've circulated around the system where um, there's a very specific uh, set of protocols when a veteran, a former member of our armed forces, 
passes away in terms of how the body is to be um, treated and, 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 and the folding of flags in a very specific way. Um, all of those protocols, our military and veteran system resource group actually set up a pilot program at one of our hospitals to make sure that those protocols were in place or when uh, a veteran passes away in one of our facilities. So I think about that, um, the ways that they're making us better operators and better um, patient care providers. I also think in time, because those voices are heard and because the communication channels are open, I feel sure that as we think about um, the ways that artificial intelligence will shape our work in healthcare in the future, because we're a little bit later to the party maybe than other um, industries are to some of this emerging technology that I think that I feel sure that keeping those communication lines open with our system resource groups is really the way that we'll make sure to prevent those biases in the future. Yeah, yep. Certainly, that will certainly help a lot in terms of, of being able to address that as it comes along. So let me let me ask you this uh, a final question. So it sounds like you have what I would consider to be groups that are high performing they're they're really embedded uh as a system within the system and helping the organization itself to evolve uh, and one of the things i remember a couple of years ago i was doing this presentation and i i was standing in front of uh, of a bunch of uh erg leaders brg leaders who were getting awards and i chose to give sort of like a winston churchill type speech where i said never ever 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 and i think i added a couple of extra evers there give up and the reason why i gave that and, and when i prefaced it before as i was talking to this group was that a lot of times when you're super successful like that uh, there's there's a tendency to sort of sit on your laurels or become complacent or become sort of the the hare and the tortoise and the hare story where you think you're you're, you're a shoo-in to be that slow tortoise and then you end up you know taking a nap to find out that uh, they they got past you in the race so so that question is what do you do to keep everyone sort of moving forward what do they do to keep their edge sharp and and keep moving forward uh once they've achieved recognition both internally externally clearly they're doing a lot within your organization what do you do to keep that momentum going so I love this question because I think um, as diversity and inclusion strategies and initiatives start to mature, I think this is a real risk that um, our system resource groups will sort of um, become has-been organizations that aren't really um, engaging the workforce in the ways that we originally envisioned over time. So one of the strategies that we've used is we have an annual system resource group summit whereby we get together all leaders of our system resource groups and any members who are interested in participating and also just members of our general teammate population who are interested in becoming a part of system resource groups. We get them together, it's usually at a hotel or another venue, and we bring in experts on system resource groups. So we talk about you know, what is your next level effort? What are some of the things that high-performing system resource uh, groups around the country are doing? What are the ways that they're advising and guiding their organizations? And that's kind of this, what I think of it as, you know, the little shot in the arm to kind of keep you going and give you some new momentum. 
um, invite you to think differently about um, the work of the system resource group and how you can accomplish your uh, goals and initiatives as a system resource group. So that's one way we keep it fresh. The other thing that we do, just as a matter of uh, routine and practice, is we get those leaders together on a regular basis. So they'll come together quarterly at a minimum and we'll kind of have a best practice sharing session where they're talking about some of their initiatives, what's working well, what are some of the things that they've had challenges around, what are the ways that they're engaging their executive sponsors or not, what are some of the things that they're proud of, and what we found is, I'm not saying it creates a competition, but that that best practice sharing does, I think, invite the other leaders in the room to say, huh, well, the young professionals are doing this and, you know, we haven't really thought about it, but, you know, we could do something similar or um, a lot, we encourage a lot of our system resources, we don't make them, but, but it's one of our, what we call kind of a leading edge best practice to have a mentoring program. And so how those programs are structured, though, there's, you know, tons of variability try not to be overly prescriptive about how they can manifest and um, so that best practice sharing helps them to learn well you know we did this with our mentoring program and it worked really well and it wasn't as labor intensive but we really got some great feedback about it so we found that that helps them kind of keep their pencil sharp on a more regular basis and then we try to have that annual shot in the arm where they're really challenged to take things to the next level and we've brought in national leading experts from around the country to um, speak with them about best practices in, in system resource groups. Fantastic advice. Keneal, thank you so much for being my guest today. Really had a great discussion. And uh, I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of great ideas and some of that inspiration and sharpening of their pencil from listening to some of the ideas that you've shared. So uh, thanks again. Thank you for tuning in to ERG Power Talk. If you enjoyed and got value out of this program, please like us and leave a favorable review at your podcast provider's site. Also, invite others to listen to the show. I'm Joe Santana, and thanks again for tuning in.